Welcome back to part two of our Shift Shapers post-election wrap-up with Jessica Waltman. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. Let's talk about a couple of other old ideas that seem to kind of have a half-life like plutonium. And the first is an undercurrent that has been around in Republican circles for a long, long time. And that's this notion that we'd be better off if we moved away from employer-based health insurance to a more individually-based or a fully individually-based marketplace. Is that idea still floating out there? Do you think it's going to gain any traction? How might it impact the discussion? Well, absolutely. It's it's part of the discussion. Speaker Ryan has been a long proponent of that. It's a component of the price plan. I mean, really, if you look at any conservative, you know, come from a conservative academic perspective, I would say that is a component of it. I actually read an interesting piece kind of arguing in that that way this morning in the New York Times, but it was an opinion section and the column was called Upshot. And it was from a um, University of Michigan economist named Nicholas Bagley. And then another guy, Austin Frack, who, who writes this blog called the incidental economist. And their argument was for more of a individual market based individual tax credit based system based on the whole theory that, you know, what works for one person doesn't work for for all and that we cannot replace health reform with a one size fits all approach. And they, they drew some very interesting analogies and, and they were really arguing, I think from a very academic perspective that, you know, involving individual choices and in the employer based system, because it kind of takes the individual out of the purchasing equation is what's the big problem. But I think that they're missing, all of these people are missing really a key component because they come at it from a very academic perspective. And I mean, this article actually even really argued in favor of the Cadillac tax, which again, a lot of health economists from a very ivory tower perspective think will work. And those that that favor individual tax credits, even if they may not like the Cadillac per tax per se, you have to be very careful because they talk about either eliminating the exclusion or capping the exclusion. And for employer plans, it's not just the disincentive to offer coverage that comes with that, but in a cap with of an exclusion, that creates all the complications the Cadillac tax would cause too, because you would have to track it. You know, how would you know? How would you figure out what the value of your plan was to see if you met the exclusion? And how would you tell the IRS that you met the, you know, the cap or not? You know, it's, it's employer reporting times a million more, you know, more complicated and what falls under those caps. I mean, all those concerns that we had, you know, does an HSA fall under the cap? You know, is that hit with the exclusion? You know, how does that factor in with 
a tax credit, all of these questions come up again and become very complicated, both for individuals and employers. But anyway, I'm going down onto a tangent, but I think that the point that those that favor the employer-based system need to make is, yes, you're hitting on one key piece that individual employees do not necessarily feel very connected to their purchasing decisions, and they're not necessarily making the best decisions relative to their medical care because price is taking it away from them. But putting it in an individual market-based system, I don't know that that's really the answer to that either. I think what we might want to focus on more is price transparency and then also the value that a large purchasing pool and a large group market and large groups of people together can do for innovative things to bring down health because individual actors alone, it's just so much harder to apply innovations that might reduce costs to the individual market and an individual risk pool. But large employers are doing fabulous things to bring down costs in their plan and really investigating it. And we have such laboratories of cost containment going on in individual companies now. Why would we want to throw that away? Plus, I personally just think no one wants to buy individual coverage. It's it's just they like it. People like getting it through their employer because it's cheaper and easier for them. And I don't think we can discount what the American people like and, you know, making things more difficult for them isn't really a winning political strategy. Well, I think we learned that in this election for sure. But here's the second of the two things that I want to talk about. That's kind of an old line idea. And this one in particular leaves a lot of people scratching their heads. And that's this notion of selling across state lines. How much of that are we going to see? Does that even make sense as a strategy? Is it even practical? Right. No, that is one that, you know, everything old is new again, that just keeps coming back around and lots of people like it. And on the campaign trail, I mean, I remember seeing one interview with President-elect Trump and he was asked about his health policy and he said, well, coverage across state lines. And the interviewer said, well, you know, what else? And he said, what else is there? You know, that's that's it. And I think, you know, that was early on in the campaign. His health policy strategy hadn't really been fleshed out. And that was his you know message point of the day. And he made it. But I'm not going to take it terribly literally, but you know it's definitely coming back, and it's definitely something that has you know been an idea of people like Tom Price and others. I do think that Tom Price at HHS though might have some interesting perspective to put on that. You know, Georgia isn't one of a number of states that passed state level legislation to allow purchasing across state lines and to allow insurers to come in. And help the Georgia marketplace because there are certainly areas of Georgia, rural counties where competition is really poor and it's very hard, you know, know, to negotiate with providers. There's some really expensive parts of Georgia to buy coverage and it's not Atlanta, it's rural counties. And they thought this will be it. It will help us. And you know how many insurers have come in to serve those markets and want to do it? I'll bet it's not a big number. Yeah, zero. Yeah, zero, zero. You know, other states have done it too. So it's kind of like if you build it, will they come? And I think that the practical experience in the states are no, it hasn't. And if you talk to state insurance commissioners and others, you know, they may say, you know what, this isn't really the best idea. Like this is not exactly what we wanted. And ACA even contained a nod to coverage across state lines with the multi-state plans 
And then even with the exchanges, I mean, they were, you were supposed to be able to do exchanges across state lines and have groups of exchanges. And what they found out was it just doesn't work that way. It's not practical. It's not cost effective. You'd think that sharing resources and blurring those lines would work. And it just really doesn't. There's just so many costs and geographical concerns and other practical matters that just get in the way. It's just not a solid business proposition once you really get down into the weeds. So I think that Tom Price certainly knows the impact it's had in Georgia. It was kind of a big deal there. And they were, it was very highly touted and it, it just didn't work. And I think that, you know, as things play out, maybe we might have something that sounds like coverage across state lines or allows for the possibility. But just because something, a possibility is allowed for, doesn't mean that it's going to be the piece of the puzzle. You know, it doesn't really mean it's going to be the silver bullet. So we've got about another 10 minutes left in our conversation. And you touched on something earlier that I'd like to explore. You said something that I say all the time, that health insurance is expensive because health care is expensive. ACA, other than arguably some tacit nod or tilt of the hat to ACOs, didn't do an awful lot on the supply side. It was more focused on the demand side. Are there any initiatives? Is anybody talking about what seems to have become the third rail of healthcare coverage in the United States, which is the cost problem, and then its twin sister, the transparency side? Somewhat. So as I mentioned, there's a coalition of business groups, insurers, you know, agents, brokers, other interested parties that just were reaching out to the Trump administration today to urge them to move in that direction. Similarly, I saw that in his Man of the Year interview, President-elect Trump went after drug prices, which a lot of people thought, oh, you know, this is something that, that a Trump administration might not do. And that was certainly more of a Clinton talking point on the campaign trail. You know, he just said, hey, I, yeah, they're too high. There's something going on there. And it wasn't very specific, but he said, you know, we got to look at these costs and what's going on here. You know, where do we go with that? It's questionable, but you know he's not wrong. It's certainly one of the key drivers of premiums right now, and there's a lot of reasons why that is. And a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what to do. You know, he even talked about controlling drug prices in the interview, apparently, but I don't know that that was a literal reference to price controls, as it was more. Let's look at this. Is there any practical? You know, I hope that it, it's more like let's look at this. Are there practical solutions? to make these less expensive for everyone, but yet not limit the drug innovation that goes on in this country that really helps, you know, the rest of the world medically and us as well. So hopefully we'll, we'll go down that road. But I think that it's something that as this moves forward, stakeholders with great connection to the actual marketplace and not, you know, kind of academics really need to to hammer home. And this is a really good opportunity to really focus in on the cost of medical care. You know, particularly if we do a deliberative longer process to replace what we have now thoughtfully, there could be a great opportunity to move in that direction, but we have to be prepared with policy ideas to fill in because as we just discussed, the policy ideas that are being suggested now are old school ideas that don't necessarily get at that at all. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. 
The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Pharmacy, while it's, it's tempting and it's a nice juicy target to shoot at because it's easy for consumers to understand, it still represents only about 20% of the overall spend. And the vast majority of spend comes on the facility side. And those numbers are just insanely crazy and completely and totally irrational. Do you believe that value-based or metric-based pricing is the first step toward reining that in? Or does something more drastic need to happen? Well, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. But I honestly think we really need to take a good hard look at the whole you know, all of that and why, because it is representing such a huge amount of the costs that we have right now. And there's, you know, things that you can do and say, Hey, let's look and see why is an MRI, you know, one price, one place, one at another, we add in transparency, we add in value-based components to, to the plan design. You know, we, we do that. But that doesn't get into the underlying problem of why do we have, you know, so many facilities that need to have these costs or why are they charging so much or what, you know, what is underlying all that? And it's pretty complicated. And I think that we haven't spent a ton of time over the last, you know, six years in particular, really analyzing and coming up with thoughtful solutions a lot of people have been saying this, what we have now has to go. And so now we have this really great time and hopefully we'll take it to look on a bipartisan basis and say, okay, what are the problems here? Let's look at all the sectors and are there small changes and large institutional changes we can make to lower the cost for everyone? Because otherwise we're just spinning our wheels and we can make changes to the financing mechanism, like you said, but if the overall cost never goes down, it's not going to be helpful. And and that would help not only the private insurance market, but also that's what's needed to sustain Medicare, Medicaid, and other public-private programs. We've got just a few minutes left, so it's not fair to touch on what is the real third rail of reform. But that would be the thing that's starting to melt liberals down is Medicare privatization and Medicaid cutbacks or changes in the scheme so that it's more block-granted. Are those going to get caught up in the overall general healthcare reform discussion, or do you think they'll be taken up separately? Well, you know, that's a great question because you could argue very forcefully that, you know, just as an example, the Medicaid expansion expanded a system and brought all these new people into the coverage system on a system 
you know, that is unsustainable. And it's just antiquated, even in terms of its technology, and you know, that this has cost us a lot of money. We shouldn't have just expanded on a broken system, we should have fixed first, and then, you know, seen what we could do. I mean, it's particularly with Medicaid, it's really when you talk about changing the structure, and what might happen to the expansion. And so that might be one of the really good things that and maybe a, a positive argument and maybe something that could bring in bring the sides together relative to Medicaid is if you had criteria for waivers that would really encourage the states to take that money and make the specific fixes that they each need to get their systems under control because there's a lot of wasted costs and problems. I mean, Medicaid's infrastructure has a lot of issues in many states. So, you know, maybe there are, yes, Medicare and, you know, private premium support. I think that really when we talk about health reform replacement and, and changes, that would be adding in a whole other element. And while that may be very important and interesting to Speaker Ryan and others, and maybe something you want to look at at the long term, I think that that might be something that, you know, it seems like they're talking about doing separately. And perhaps that will be the most effective strategy because, I mean, I don't know that you really need to add anything to the pile that needs to be dealt with with health reform. Anything else in the couple of minutes that we have left, is there anything else that you see coming down in the near term that advisors and their clients need to be acutely aware of? Well, I think one of the most important things is to not panic and to recognize that requirements are still there and that in the very short term, you know, the focus really needs to be on helping clients, you know, stay the course. It's unlikely that employer reporting is going to change for this year. You know, these are things that maybe for next year, yes, but you, you still need to be, you know, the new summary of benefits and coverage is still coming out in April. You know, it's possible that we're just going to throw those documents away, but you know, you still need to be preparing for it. If you have an April 1 renewal, you know, they, they need to be giving those out for their upcoming enrollment. I mean, it's unlikely that the Trump administration and the new Congress are going to get those things, you know, just thrown out the window right away. So I think that for advisors and then their employer clients, you know, just really not to panic, but then also to keep your ear to the ground and just be really in tune to what changes might be coming. But recognizing that this is not, you know, this is a law that was passed now coming up almost seven years ago, and we are still in the implementation phase of a lot of it. And now we're talking about undoing it. You know, Rome was not built in a day and Rome was not dismantled in a day. So... Well, uh, from an old movie, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but it should be fun. Jessica Waltman, Principal at Forward Health Consulting. Jessica, as always, thank you for your insights and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.